Hey everybody, welcome back to Props and Hops, powered by Dimers.com. I'm Matt Landis, and this episode features part two of my recent conversation with Mike Roselli, the host of the Doggy Juice podcast, and in this episode, we answer arguably the most important question we can ask ourselves and others whose opinions we value as sports bettors, and that would be, how do you win at sports betting? I was inspired to do a deep dive on this topic after a friend who knows a lot about sports, but not a lot about betting, recently asked me this exact question, and it was a great question, but it caught me off guard. I like to think my answer in the moment was adequate, but also think it's worth revisiting to give this question the more thoughtful answer it deserves. And with the Super Bowl bye week, it seemed like the ideal time to do this, and Mike seemed like the ideal person with whom to have this conversation. So in this episode, he and I break down our top five tips to become a winning sports better. Quick heads up, if you missed part one of the conversation, check out yesterday's episode. We broke down the latest in sports betting legalization, recapped conference championship Sunday, and also gave a preliminary look at Super Bowl 55. And on that note, next week I'll break down Super Bowl 55 in much more detail, including a thorough look at the best prop betting market of the year. So for now, listen in for some insights on a topic we can apply as we gear up for Super Sunday and well beyond how we can best position ourselves to win as sports bettors. Now that we've been talking for almost an hour, the billing for this episode, how to win at sports betting. (laughs) And what we'll do here is we will count down each of our top five recommendations that we've put together independently. Um, So we'll count down from five to one. And the rankings might be a little arbitrary, but figure there's nothing wrong with a little dramatic effect here. And one caveat off the top, this is not intended to be all-encompassing. There are way more than five ways to win or five things that somebody should pay attention to to maximize their winnings as a better in the long run. Um, and also the paths to winning evolve over time as games and markets evolve. So this is something that um, would possibly be great to revisit in the future. But for now, we're just trying to make this more of a solid foundation than a finished product. So with that in mind, Mike, what is your number five tip to winning at sports betting? So my number five tip, it's going to be one that a lot of bettors don't want to hear, especially newer bettors. Avoid parlays. Avoid betting parlays, um, even if it's at all costs, just if you have to shut them down completely. Uh, there are exceptions, of course, to every single rule, but the household is just too big in parlays. Um, there's, and it kind of goes back to that, what we were talking about, that lottery mentality, the bet a little to win a lot, that, that lotto angle that a lot of bettors, uh, are gravitate towards. And I've heard friends tell me you could take parlays, parlays away from my cold dead hands. I'll always bet them no matter what, no matter how much you tell me they're a bad bet. Uh, but temp- the temptation's there, but, uh, for the bigger payout, but every single time you're not getting the payout that you should be almost always can't see it definitively. Cause as we know, there's correlated parlays and situations where parlays actually do fit, but as a whole, your general rule, just avoid them completely and stick to straight bets. Yeah. I, I think to that end, I mean, we were talking about the way the NFC title game ended when Matt LaFleur sent the field goal unit onto the field, the Bucks sideline must've been celebrating inside and most of the time, if you're betting a parlay, that ticket right around the other side of the counter is probably celebrating inside. So just think about mm-hmm. it from the stance of if you're making a bet that they're eager to take from you, then it might be best to look in a different direction. Exactly. Yes. Books make most of their margin off parlays too. And if you want an example, look at uh, how Barstool did in Pennsylvania last month. <laughs> yeah. Um <laughs> 
Yeah, well, in, instead of looking at Barstool's Pennsylvania's numbers from last month for now, um, I will share my number five. And that would be, um, thinking about it from a high level, start with a goal. And this is less specific um, to a certain return on investment or breaking even or only losing X amount of dollars because uh, the bottom line is that most bettors do lose in the long run. And, and that's okay as long as you're not losing more than you can afford to. But for me, the goal is more about having it being identity driven. So to be clear, again, there's nothing wrong with numbers-based goals. Certainly important to have a clear cap on how much you can afford to lose. But even with the best handicap, the result of any one bet can be so far beyond our control. Um, And I think that magnifies the importance of not focusing on any particular result, but more about the process behind the result and ultimately the identity that you're working toward. And to give an example of this, to maybe lend some clarity, my goal is to approach betting like a professional. And I know I'm an amateur better. I don't make a living doing this. I do like to think that I'm better at it than most people, but having the goal of approaching it like a pro provides a direction to move in. And the better I do that, the better those results that are numbers driven will be in the long run. And in the meantime, I'm not living and dying by every result. So long-term betters, it's important to remember long-term winning betters have droughts and that comes with the territory. Even the best will have losing days, weeks, months, and years. Um, I think when you have a winning day, week, month, or year, it doesn't mean you've really figured everything out. And when you hit a rough patch, it doesn't mean you're worthless and you can't rebound. A good season isn't a finish line and a bad season is not an indictment on your ability because ultimately tying this in with having a goal um, framed around the identity you want to adopt, your ability as a better is not determined by recent results as much as it is by your approach and how that approach fuels the identity that you're working toward in the long run. And that's, I mean, case in point, you're, you're holding off that Bills play last week with the, you know, instead of taking the three and three and a half of that, or yeah, minus 115, you're holding off for that minus 110. That was what a pro would do. And you stayed off just for that one game and ended up working out. Yeah, I mean, if if they had kept that lead that they jumped out to, I might have felt a little <laughs> differently. But again, uh, it's it's nice when uh, process and outcome are not contradicting concepts. So yep. I'll take it. That was yeah, that was a fortuitous <laughs> pass. So all right, moving on. What is your number four tip? Number four. This is another do not, and I think that this will be my last do not because I want to be totally a no fun guy. But do not buy points, um, with rare exceptions, of course. I'll get into those right now, but. You know, along those lines, remember also that teasers are the same thing as teasers are the same as buying points. So when you're, when you're teasing, you're effectively buying points. There's obviously exceptions to that too. As we know, the Stanford Wong model, especially in NFL games with lower totals, um, that increases the value of every relative value of every point that you're teasing through. So that's a nice exception. And there's exceptions to buying points too. I know that there's some books, uh, namely, uh, the, the Canby books here in my home state of Illinois, and that's DraftKings, Bent Rivers. Sometimes they, you can buy on and off a three for uh, less than they should be charging you for. Um, I think the rule of thumb in the NFL these days is on and off a three is worth roughly about 20 cents, maybe a tick under. Um, but sometimes in the Canby books, you could buy, you know, from a plus three to plus three and a half, nine, 12 cents, something like that. So, oh my goodness. Uh, yeah. That, that's an exception. I've done that recently too. So yeah, that's, it's possible. So. It's not a hardline rule never to buy points. Um, and obviously alternative markets and with alternative totals, alternative point spreads is, you know, you're effectively buying points there too, but you could find nice inefficiencies in the market there too. Uh, so it's not like a, you know, just a black and white rule, but in general, 
when the temptation's there and when a book's trying to entice you to buy points, you're going to be paying too much for what the point's actually worth buying. And, you know, I think the going, you know, usually it's 10 cents. That's standard, you know, in, in basketball and football, you know, when it's not onto a key number, um, it's just not worth that 10 cents. Of course, buying onto key numbers in the NFL changes the equation. And in basketball, you know, with smaller totals, Games do tend to, lend, tend to land on two and three quite a bit. Five is also a relatively key number in basketball and seven, but it's still not worth uh, a 10 cent buy, you know, situate. And obviously that's, that changes based off of the total in a game with a very low total, um, where, you know, the respective value of every point is worth a lot more. You could find more exceptions there as well, but in general, it's just not a good move. Yeah. I like that you brought that up because there have been a few playoff games in the last couple of weeks that have been hovering, you know, right on or off of the three. And some books might have a minus three, minus 125. Elsewhere, it's, uh, you know, plus, let's see. Uh, if we've got a minus three at minus 125, we might have a minus three and a half at even money. And it's like, well, I only want to lay three. I don't want to give up that hook. Well, that hook is worth the 25 cent trade-off you're getting there. But it, it can be tough to know how that math pans out. So I like that you addressed that, you know, 20 cents is about the ballpark. I think now with the longer PAT, higher scoring, it's, you know, I, I often say maybe it's about 18 cents, but it's in that range. Clearly, if you're getting a Camby book that'll give it to you for 9 or 12 cents, take it every time. If you're being charged 25 cents for it, it can feel counterintuitive, but it's better to lay you know, a minus three and a half for even money than a minus three for minus 125, even though if you're just looking at the odds of winning that specific bet, they would go down in the long term. That's well worth it for the ROI because a three point favorite doesn't win by three in most cases. So when that does happen, you could be kicking yourself for taking the discount, laying the hook, and then it, it backfires instead of a push you lost. But more often than not, that's not going to be the case. And every time that that game doesn't land three, you get the better end of the deal by not paying the premium. Exactly. And to piggyback off that, I always, the way for me mentally to kind of, uh, to do all this and go through it, like, is think about over time. So if you're, you know, if you're going to make this bet 100 times over a stretch of time, and when you think about it that way, it, it really helps uh, clear up your mindset and think about it in the proper way because it's just one off event and stuff. And it's easy to get caught up and then, Oh man, why didn't I just buy the hook there? And then you're more tempted to pay that 25 cents or whatever is the next time in reality. Think about it. If I made this bet a hundred times and it lands on three, you know, less than 10% of the time in a you know, standard uh, NFL total with a, with a three a point spread of three, then you're able to kind of get in the right mindset and process there and say, Hey, it's not worth in the long run over those 100 trials buying the 25 cents, you know, so this one off, don't overreact to it. Think about it. And if I made this bet a hundred times, am I going to come out on top more than, you know, 53 times at minus 110 in order to break even or make money? Yeah. Yeah. That's a great way to contextualize it. Mm-hmm. And again, I, I really like the first couple points you're bringing up because they're immediately applicable to anybody who's looking at lines and how to bet. Um, I, I think I, uh, may have uh, mistakenly taken a bit more of a high level approach, but I love this combination of uh, something that you can, you know, apply to your next bet and something you can think about for the long term. Um, and then both of our approaches will kind of weave in and out of those lanes. Um, yeah. But my fourth point would be to exercise discipline. So that kind of ties in with a lot of what we've talked about so far. And specifically my previous point about having a goal, the level of discipline you need will depend on your ambition as a better. So, There are also different types of discipline involved. It can be how you track your bets, how you watch games, 
how you plan your time? Uh, I mean, are you just going to look at lines on Sunday right before kickoff or are you trying to get ahead of it as soon as they open or even beforehand doing some prep and how you consume media? So when it comes to something like tracking your bets, an example that I would share is teasers and props have been the most profitable types of bets for me this season. Um, and that will probably apply to most seasons. Team totals I've, I've struggled with. So I can use something like this to analyze results in the off season and take these findings to inform what approach I want to take in general and maybe change up the unit sizing for these different types of bets next season. Um, and if you don't track bets or don't reflect on the results once there's a big enough sample size to focus on those results, then you could be missing out on some edges to be gained by adapting. And to be clear, this isn't just about the result of a bet, but also looking at the number you get in relation to the closing number. So in the short term, somebody can lay three and a half in games that close three and go on a hot streak. Somebody could take three and a half in games that close three and go on a cold streak. But in the long term, like you said, if we do this, you know, a hundred, five hundred, a thousand times, beating the closing number is going to be the more indicative path of how successful that better is going to be. So I think we could at some point maybe do a deep dive exclusively on tracking bets and closing line value. Uh, maybe a good topic for another show down the road. Um, but in the interest of keeping this moving, another area of discipline that I think is crucial is how you watch games. And we all have a natural human tendency to root for our bets. And there's nothing wrong with that. It would be impossible to eliminate that altogether. And frankly, it would take a lot of the joy out of the equation. Um, but with that in mind, I think we can all try to move in the direction of watching games with more of an interest in learning about what we can apply moving forward than dwelling on the result of what we just saw on the last play. Um, again, the NFC title game, when Green Bay doesn't play defense the last play of the first half, I'm like, okay, I had some derivatives tied to the Packers starting well early. I had the second half outscoring the first half. That was just a gut punch. Um, at the same time, I can say, okay, the box score will show that Tom Brady had a touchdown pass on this drive. So if I wanted to, um, you know, push back a little more firmly on your first point, he should have thrown a pick a few passes before. Um, that's not going to get reflected, but trying to watch and learn, um, not to undermine your point about Brady at all, again, exceeding all expectations, but noticing things like that um, and trying to be as objective as possible. We're all human. Again, I might've been a little bit too hard on Tampa Bay and not giving them enough credit because I had a vested interest in seeing the Packers perform better there. So uh, it's all about just trying to see what we can learn and not solely focusing on rooting in the bets, even though that's always going to be part of the viewing experience once we've got some action. Um, so there's that. There's the element of how you plan your time um, and the discipline that goes into that. Um, David Malinsky had an extraordinary ability to plan his time. He would wake up earlier than pretty much everybody else um, to get the first crack at the lines. He he was fond of saying he liked to get up early because he liked to win. And <laughs> yeah, I know it's like that quote ever. <laughs> it was, it's so simple yet so <laughs> profound in, in the same way. Um, and Saturday nights during college football season, um, he would refer to that as a sacred time. And others could be just relaxing on the weekend or especially out in Vegas, plenty of options to go party and have a good time. And Dave would be at his place just grinding away, grading games as the results came in so that he's ready to fire when the lines open the next day. And mm -hmm. to that point, um, part of my process for planning my time this season uh, has been focusing on Sunday afternoons and evenings, making sure to tune into the deep dive live stream with Andy Molitor and Drew Dinsick. They do uh, a breakdown of openers as they hit the board for the coming week. And um, 
I, I haven't just played everything they've bet, but they've been so insightful and I definitely have tailed a few of their plays because they do their work before these lines open and they often have beaten closing numbers by multiple points and you've got to snag them quickly. If you're not quick on the trigger, you're not going to get them. Um, mm-hmm. And so just making it part of the process to say, hey, I see that these other guys are doing something that's really smart and they do it at the same time every week. If I want to benefit from it, let me tune in and pay attention to see what I can take away from that process. So often that gap between the Sunday uh, late window ending and Sunday night football kicking off, um, not afraid to shout them out the deep dive, uh, doing their live stream with the openers. Um, there's a lot to be gained, even if you don't bet anything, just to get a head start on forming that approach for the coming week. And yeah. then uh, the last thing I'll touch on here is how you consume media. I think that might be the most underrated component of being disciplined as a better. Um, I have a friend, Christopher Harris, who hosts a really popular fantasy football podcast, the Harris Fantasy Football Podcast. Yeah. And he has the phrase, click discipline. Uh, and I, I just love it. It, it just kind of says it all when it comes to how to monitor your behavior when you're, you know, browsing the ESPN app on your phone or, or, you know, if, if you have barstool as a part of your diet, um, which we could talk about later if, if that's the case for anybody out there. But, mm-hmm. um, trends and narratives are, are largely just lazy and lacking any predictive value. And something that we touched on earlier, if there's something you're hearing about on ESPN or again, that barbershop example, then you better believe the guys setting the lines know about it as well. And the people hammering those lines from the moment they open are hyper aware of it. So I think it's important to have a filter and take advantage of any good podcasts or good Twitter follows. There's a lot to be gained when it comes to finding edges from quality info that isn't mainstream and not letting the mainstream stuff become a time suck for you. Um, basically, anytime you hear anybody analyze anything, especially if you're tempted to use it to inform a wager, just having the discipline to ask yourself, what are their qualifications for saying this? And do they have an agenda for saying this? Um, so those those different areas to apply some discipline can just work wonders over time. Yeah, where we get our information from, is, especially these days, is absolutely key. And especially, you know, in the hot take world of sports betting, obviously, it's easy to throw those narratives around and sound smart and try to, in reality, it's most of it's just noise. And so like finding out, and I couldn't agree more with this, like having your process down where you get your information from could not mean more because that's informing the way you're thinking too. I mean, we are products of, of what we spend our time doing. And, you know, so that when you're spending your time consuming a certain media type or certain, you know, reading a certain article every week or listening to a certain podcast every week, that's at the expense of other stuff you could be doing with that time. So knowing that and knowing that your sources of information is knowing yourself effectively. Yeah. Yeah. So that, I know that was a big one touched on. I made that a bit of a four parter there. Um, but yeah. under the umbrella of trying to become as disciplined as possible, um, a huge component to winning in the long run. Um, so on the heels of that, I'll turn it over to you for your number three. So my number three is going to, go along the lines with that in a big way, but it's embracing variance. Embrace variance, and along those lines, do not tilt. And beware of certain things that a lot of bettors fall into, especially early bettors, and that's recency bias, um, you know, thinking that, hey, I've reeled off seven winners in a row, even, you know, and like you said, even without CLV and a lot of, you know, anybody can reel off seven wins in a row. Anybody could flip a coin, you know, seven times and, and get seven heads in a row. It's not going to happen often, but it does happen. And, and in sports betting, especially if you're planning on doing this in the long run, the law of large numbers does come into play. And you're, and with that, you're going to invariably, it just it doesn't matter. You're going to have long stretches 
of, of losing and long stretches of winning. It comes with the territory doing this and being able to uh, react accordingly and not overreact is, is key. A lot of betters get burned by this. You know, they think even the gambler's fallacy, like do theory, they think, Hey, I've lost my last five bets. So let's bet a little more on the sixth one because I'm more likely to win it. In reality, you are just as likely to win it as any of the other bets. If anything, maybe there's something in your process that you're not taking into account properly and you should be betting less and, and holding yourself back. So a lot of people get, get stuck on this and you just have to accept that the tough times are going to come with betting. It's not a get rich quick scheme. It goes along with the whole parlay thing that I said in my, you know, rule number five for me. If you're looking to bet a little to win a lot, it's probably not going to happen. Some people do hit those parlays, you know, those big monster parlays and those, those lotto tickets. But most of us, the only way to win, and I know you agree with this, is by slowly over time just assembling a portfolio every day um, with betting um, that's assembled with small edges because it's really rare to find, you know, a, a game where you're getting you know, more than five or 10% of, of betting edge and, and so just assembling a portfolio every day, filled with small edges, building up your bankroll over time is the way to do it and not get caught up in the short-term noise. So embrace the variance. It's going to happen of those, you know, just always think in that mindset of, you know, making this bet a hundred times or a thousand times, because if you're thinking that way, your process is going to be right for all 100 or all 1000. And you're not going to find yourself in a situation where you're just reacting to a small patch of, you know, a very small sample size. Yeah, I, I love that. Once in a while, I'll see somebody on Twitter hyping themselves for having a two-in-one day. And then, like, <laughs> cool. Like, you flip nice a coin one. three times, and you're going to get the the same result at least twice a, a good chunk of the time. So, yeah, variance is definitely a big part of what we're doing. And I think my, my number three, I phrased it differently, but there's a lot in cool. common there. And my number three tip is to keep an open mind. Um to the point of variance, if you're backing your opinion with money, then that's inviting being proven wrong all the time. But that's okay because you don't have to be right all the time. You just have to be right a small fraction of the time more than others in the market. Is the holy grail, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, you know, betting markets, they do tend to evolve when it comes to, you know, getting more efficient over time. And if we're too stubborn to evolve, then we'll get left behind or our bankrolls are going to get depleted. So keeping an open mind is key. And an example that comes to mind um, to this point would be just looking at, let's say, the Packers for the calendar year or the last eight to nine months. Um, going back to April, they were universally panned for their draft. And look how they did this season. And that doesn't mean that their draft was good. Um, the critics of their draft may well be right in the long term, but the intense reaction to their draft skewed the perception heavily for the short-term future of the team. And I think drafts and coaching hires often take years to grade with any basis in reality. Uh, kind of touched on this last week in the Malinsky Minute on um, on a rant about some of the reactions to the Chargers head coaching hire. And mm -hmm. I know it's popular to give hot takes and instant analysis, but similar to the importance of having, you know, media discipline that we touched on earlier, um, keeping that that stuff, hot takes, instant analysis, keeping that at a distance is probably your best ticket to um, having a more open mind. It's okay to have an initial reaction. I mean, we're human, but it's important to keep it in check and know the difference between a gut reaction and an intense reaction and try to work in the direction of being open to having your mind changed. I know I had to do that this year, um, specifically holding myself accountable for how I perceived Josh Allen. Um, I'm not alone in this, but I, I was wrong about him. And I was down on the bills before the season because of Allen's accuracy issues mm -hmm. and even 
early on in the season, he got off to a hot start. He's he's going to be, you know, up there when the MVP voting is revealed, and deservedly so. But after a hot start, he stumbled a bit. And I doubled down against Allen um, right before the Cardinals game, saying, oh, that hot start was a mirage, and, and now it's back to the same old guy we've already seen for two seasons. Um, but between that Cardinals game, the Hale Murray, yeah. and between that and the AFC title game, uh, the Bills didn't lose. And a big part of that is because Allen was outstanding for the majority of the time. So I, I need to acknowledge that I was wrong uh, with how I expected him to play heading into the season. He played like a star for most of the season. And it's okay to be slow to change your mind sometimes. I think reacting to one strong week might have been a bit too much of a knee-jerk reaction. So I did need him to see it. I needed him to see that do it quite a bit more than once, it turns out. I, I was a bit too slow to change there. But um I, I did realize I needed to change my mind and upgrade the Bills accordingly. I mean, historically, his turnaround in terms of accuracy three years into a pro career is unprecedented. So there's a lot of reason to doubt the reality of it one, two, or three games into the season. But at a certain point, when things like this happen, and surprising things do happen all the time, again, to your point about variance, um, we have to evolve and acknowledge these things when they change and just appreciate them for what they are. Yes, could not agree more. It's the, the better, the best betters that I've encountered over time are able to adjust their sales, you know, and, and, and just keep your ship going, but adjust your sales accordingly. And sometimes that's changing your opinion on a player or, or a team or changing a rating. Maybe you're reluctant to change or, you know, adjusting your weighting on something. There's a lot of different ways to go about that. And also another thing about the variance that I, I wanted to bring up is something like this. I thought I heard this like a couple of years ago and it, it really helped kind of clear my mind on this because, and especially, you know, in the face of, of a long losing streak where, you know, I'll see friends who are not spending the same hours or even close to it, you know, touting their wins recently. When you're trying to win in the long run, um, doing this seriously and laying minus one to them, you're really just trying to win one more bet out of every 20 than a random person who's just flipping coins who knows nothing. So like, you know, like someone's grandma flipping coins, just one more win in 20 you expect over over time and that's what you're shooting for and that's you know to hit 55 percent versus 50 and so thinking about it that way just you know it helps you kind of put you at ease and, and able to get through those inevitable tough stretches where you know you're going to be losing six or seven bets in a row and it seems like the world's coming coming apart and everything so it's just a good it's a good way to like clear the mindset yeah a good way to free yourself from mm-hmm. depending too much on any one result and mm-hmm. and definitely keeping that bigger picture in mind exactly. so yeah, well, uh, what is your number two? I feel like we're going to have the same last two, <laughs> Let's, or maybe in some in some way. My number two is is have multiple outs uh, for betting, as I always say. That, and, and I do this on my podcast too. My first episode of my podcast was the Ten Commandments of Sports Betting, and and I've said whenever I discuss those that this is the one thing having multiple outs that you as a better listening to this right now can put into practice right away. It's the one thing you can do without having to study more or trying to, you know, dive into, you know, team news or try and make some kind of model or, or algorithm or anything. No, this is the one thing you could put on your side right now. And that's of course funding multiple accounts, but having multiple outs and, and books with different lines. So, you know, obviously if you're, if you're in Illinois, you got to be careful. You're not, um, you know, if you're where I'm at, don't put your money into only the Canby books, the same operator. We're going to be getting the same odds. Make sure you're getting into books that are offering different lines, different odds providers, because shopping lines is more meaningful than ever before right now, especially with multiple legal options at our disposal here in the United States. But 
price shopping is everything and sports betting is like the stock market. It is all about numbers. It's not teams, it's numbers. And if you are striving to find the absolute best price and reducing the, um, and I know they touched on this in the logic of sports betting uh, book as well, but the uh, synthetic hold, that whole concept, if you reduce the synthetic hold, so like, you know, if one, if the market consensus is, is plus three minus one ten, but you're able to find that minus two and a half at minus one fifteen at one book, you are lowering your synthetic hold. Or even you know, a better example is just a, the same number, you know, plus three minus one ten versus a plus three minus one oh five. Um it's a situation where if you find that minus one oh five, you have to win that much less in the long term. And striving to find that best number is the difference between winning and losing in the long term. And especially in a spot where you're trying to win one out of extra uh, one out of every extra twenty like we just talked about. So this is a game of small margins. And when you're trying to win on a daily basis with a you know, portfolio of just small edges with a bunch of different bets, if you're getting that half point and you're striving to get the best number and, and laying a little less big when, when it's possible, that literally is winning versus losing. Yeah, I love that example of a plus three uh, at minus 110 or the same number at minus 105. It might yeah. seem insignificant. I mean, it's the same number. And to most people, it's like, well, if the game lands on three, I push. If they win by more than that, I win. If they win by less than that or they lose, I lose. Either way, it's the same number. Who cares? But um, circling back to something I touched on about having discipline when it comes to grading your bets, an interesting exercise, if if anybody has the discipline to do this in the offseason, um, check out what your overall ROI would look like if you add an extra five cents of VIG to every bet that you made. That could so easily be the difference between losing a little bit and breaking even, breaking even and winning a little bit, winning a little bit and winning a substantial amount. Um, again, something you've brought up a few times is playing this out over the course of, you know, trying to win one more bet out of every 20 or play out this bet a hundred times, not just isolating the focus on this one outcome. Mm-hmm. And those, those small differences, seemingly small differences in a line can be all the difference over time. Um, yeah, and we're halfway there to having the same final top two tips because mine, different <laughs> phrasing, but the same concept, shop for the best line you can find. And I think this is the best time of year to speak to that because, again, with Super Bowl props, we're going to see huge discrepancies in lines from book to book. And an example that I benefited from last year was Patrick Mahomes versus Jimmy Garoppolo rushing yards. Um, one book had that matchup prop having Mahomes minus 20 and a half rushing yards. And another book I have had Garoppolo plus 30 and a half. Um, so that opens up a massive middle opportunity. And it looked like Mahomes was going to run away with it. But um, in glorious fashion, he conceded 15 yards in the final minute of that game to kill some clock. Um, I know that was the undoing of a lot of people who had bets on Mahomes to go over his rushing total. Um, you definitely got the short end of the stick if, if that cost you a Mahomes over rushing yards prop. But finding those discrepancies by shopping lines, um, you can set yourself up for bets in which you can't lose both and you could quite possibly win both. And that, again, playing that out 20, 100 times, that's that's just a way to um, – I mean, that wasn't even an arbitrage play that was just finding a massive middle and taking advantage but those are the things you can do independent of handicapping a game or to your point independent of doing any more research and and just finding good numbers so there's the ability to do that um and it's not limited to sports by the way going back to the presidential election most books had biden um in the range of minus 900 to minus a thousand to win the popular vote and even that i i think was a short number knowing what we do 
I had one book. I don't know how this happened, uh, and I did not ask any questions. I read the fine print several times before locking in the bet. Biden minus 300 to win the popular vote, not the Electoral College. Um, so I I placed it. Um, yeah, I, I, I didn't get flagged. They paid it out uh, fairly quickly. So I, you know, just Steve Miller, take the money and run. I mean, when that happens, if you're not... Um, <laughs> If you're not shopping lines, um, kind of to the point about being disciplined and planning your time, you can't place these crazy advantageous bets if you don't even know that they're being offered or where they're being offered. So having multiple outs, shopping lines um, can be big. And I've talked a lot about these points applying to the NFL, um, just gave um, an election example, but on a daily basis beyond major events, um, like what we talked about, you can often find an extra half point or five or 10 cents on a point spread or a total um, in any sport. And that that's often what makes the difference between winning and losing in the long run. Um, you don't need dozens of accounts, by the way. I, I know that it can be great to have as many outs as possible, but that does sound daunting. And if you're starting out on this journey, um, yeah, if you get too many accounts, um, having the bankroll can be a challenge. Having the time to shop all those lines can be a lot. I think, I mean, does it make sense like, Roughly three is a good magic number to, yeah. uh, you know, to at least have a, a good variety of lines to shop. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I agree with that. And it's, you know, it, it depends on obviously the per, everyone's different, but having at least two or three, at least two just to price shop each other at a bare minimum. But, you know, once you have three, especially if they're like different reputations for different books, I know like off, offshore books, there's certain books that have reputations for being square, you know, more likely to cater to square betters and some of them more to sharper betters. And there's some books now that, you know, it's the early days of the regulated U.S. market, but there's certain books out there that are gaining similar reputations, obviously, here um, in the U.S. So having those, you know, two of those books that are polar opposites, so to speak, uh, in terms of their reputation would be really advantageous if they let you bet with them, of course. But, um, but yeah, no, I, you could not stress that even better because it's, it's a thing that I've had multiple like new betters tell me here in Illinois that, that haven't, you know, that, if you haven't been doing this at all and, and they're interested in betting seriously and, and, you know, getting action down every weekend, they told me that just shopping around for lines has been such a big difference for them early on. Just even having two or three books where they can compare pricing and compare options, you're going to get that extra half point. And to your point before about looking back, you know, at, at your results previous months or looking back at an entire season, do the same with, with the actual, the spreads that you're betting and you'll be shocked at how many lost by the hook or lost by one point. And if you had that extra out that was giving you that extra point, you know, where you, you were able to get a plus six instead of a plus five and a half on a, on a college basketball game or something like that. Those are the most likely results. I mean, the, the most likely result if the, the line six is the game's going to land six. The next two most likely results are seven and five. So if you're, if you're taking five instead of the six, obviously you're giving away one of the most likely results, you know, so it's something to always consider, but having that, that stri striving to always find the best number is the singular thing that I think that any better can put into, into play right away to, to stack the deck in their favor, I think. Yeah. And I think one more point to kind of tie a bow around shopping for the best line or having multiple outs would be to touch on the process of creating accounts and doing your due diligence there. Um, I think some offshore books now, um, will prefer to use credit card. Increasingly, they want to go with Bitcoin. Some will accept both, but maybe have more friendlier terms with Bitcoin in terms of smaller withdrawal fees and faster payouts. So knowing what you're signing up for, just like we want to know what we're actually betting on, knowing the terms of engagement with the books that we're working with. 
Um, similarly, I like the point you brought up about some books leaning more sharp or more square. Um, some books are, you know, going to have more extensive prop menus than others. Some books, precious few, but some still offer teasers at minus 110. Um, a few charge more than the standard minus 120. <laughs> yeah. So um, depending on what you're looking to bet, just doing some homework uh, prior to signing up can be really helpful. And also sign up bonuses. Now it's such a competitive market. Um, know what strings are attached, but, you know, read, read the fine print and, and take advantage there. I think yeah. having a sense of what you're looking for and creating accounts that help round it out can be so beneficial. And I think the example, when I started betting, my goal is to have one book that I perceive to be sharp, one that I perceive to be square, and one that seemed to be somewhere in between. And mm-hmm. just doing a little bit of homework, um, I think I was able to, you know, find find a good situation where that sharp book was a good spot if I wanted to bet a favorite. A square mm-hmm. book could be good to bet underdogs. You know, sharp books might be better for unders. Square books, um, excuse me, sharp books better for overs. Yeah. Square yeah. books better for unders. Just the way people generally bet. Um, again, there are exceptions to those rules of thumb, but. Um, I think sites like dimers.com where we've done some work this season, they've been good partners to both of us. Um, for legal US books, they, they have a lot of info on what's available based on what state you're in. And then again, sportsbookreview.com has a lot of good reviews on offshores and those can be great resources just to start doing your research so that when you want multiple outs to shop for the best lines, you can find, you know, the optimal places to do that and use mm-hmm. that to really be the foundation for your approach. Absolutely. Yeah. It's the one thing that has betters. If you're looking to get to become a better, better immediately, it's the thing you could change today. Yeah. All right. Well, um, we're down to one remaining tip. The number one tip to becoming a winning sports better over time. Uh, Mike, what's at the top of your list? Bank rule management. Um, and along with that, sticking to your unit size. And I'm sure you, I'm not so sure, but like, and we've touched on this concept, you know, a couple times uh, with our top fives here, but it really is as simple as managing your bankroll. I've seen, I, I know so many great handicappers out there, guys who originate their own numbers and they, and they're, you know, they're, they're getting down. They know more about sports and sports betting than anybody on the face of the earth, but they're still bad betters because they can't manage their bankroll and they get carried away. And this, this kind of ties in with everything we've talked about with embracing variance and, and obviously sticking to your, your unit size and avoiding all of the, all of the same biases that can obviously come up for anybody, but just embracing bankroll management and having that striving to always stick to it, be very, I guess like systematic with it, I guess is the, is the best way to put it. Never varying from that, uh, from that approach, but have a bankroll, have a set amount of money that you're willing to lose, that you're comfortable losing and keeping it separate from your normal finances. And then having a unit size based off that bankroll. And that's, you know, that's where you can incorporate Kelly criteria, obviously. And, and, and that's, you know, essentially staking an amount that's proportional to, to your perceived edge. And there's varying, um, I guess, uh, theories on, on how to incorporate the Kelly criteria. And I know half Kelly's like the, maybe the prevailing uh, viewpoint, you know, half Kelly criteria when it comes to sports betting, just given the the vagaries of betting and, and the, the variance that we've already discussed, but having a set amount. So never bet more than one to 2% of your bankroll on any one event is a good thing to keep in mind as well. So have that amount, have it separate your bankroll and then bet accordingly a small fraction, one to 2% of your bankroll per stake once you do it that way, it really frees your mind. You're able to withstand those longer uh, losing streaks, and you're also 
not going to overreact to any longer winning streaks. You're just going to obviously can increase your, your unit size when your bankroll gets bigger, but staying true to your bankroll, staying true to your, your unit size is the one thing that you can control. You cannot control the outcome of the game. You can't control the bounces of the ball, but you can control how much you're staking and you can control your bankroll. Love it. So that is actually not my number one, but I think, again, some good overlap and we can provide some perspective that hopefully provides a holistic approach here. Um, I, I, I love that angle of, you know, focusing on the controllables. And mm-hmm. to that end, my number one piece of advice is to be selective. The biggest advantage I think we have as betters is that ability to be selective because sportsbooks have to post a line for every game. And we don't have to bet every game. And thank goodness for that, because as fun as that might be sometimes, most of the time they get those numbers right. Mm -hmm. So one of the biggest tips that I could share is if you want to win, try to steer clear of the trap of needing to bet a game just because it's on. And especially would underscore that point when it comes to the notion of chasing or or trying to make up for any losses that you've suffered recently. Um, If you've had a losing Sunday betting football, it might be tempting to try to win back all the losses on Sunday night football. But unless that Sunday night line offers standalone value, kind of like what we talked about with hedging, then it's probably not a bet worth making. You can just as easily double your losses. Um, so I think that's important to keep in mind. And it ties in with, again, that that first point I brought up about having a goal and basing it around an identity that you're taking on more than a specific number that you're trying to hit. Because, I mean, let's face it, it sucks to have a losing week um, or really sucks to have a losing month or a time span beyond that. But the end of any week or month or arbitrary period of time isn't really a finish line. I mean, the end of an NFL season, we're about to hit that. That's not the end of the finish line for people who, you know, that's not a finish line for people who bet the NFL. So it can be easy to go on tilt at times, but doing that uh, is a really good way to compound losses and, Mm -hmm. I think the less credence you give to a losing day or week or month, then the less of those that you'll have. Um, ultimately, it it really, to me, comes down to picking your spots, focusing on the process over the outcome, and in the long run, trusting that a good process is a good outcome, and being selective is the cornerstone of that good process. Perfectly said. And I know David Malinsky would definitely approve of that. It kind of goes along with what he always said, you know, how much would you have bet if you knew yep. this or you knew this happened and just so many things can happen in this business when you're betting sports and, and you know, you could have a team that's plus five on the turnover margin, but still inexplicably lost by 30 points or something. Every game's different. There are no sure things. And once you understand that and just embrace that, really, I think it really sets you free moving forward and being selective, picking stuff that you, you know, that you know more of and understanding that the book usually is right. Usually when you bet into just picking random games, you're going to be, you know, losing the long run because of the VIG, but picking those spots and, and understanding that you're not forced to make those bets. It's better to not lose, you know, the 110, like I said before, than, than it is to win the 100. Yeah. Um, well, thank you so much for walking us through your top five. I think, well, we only really hit the nail on the head with one tip being the exact same. I think there's a lot of overlap here and I still appreciate that there are plenty of areas where we didn't give the same advice so that, um, yeah. from really granular, immediately applicable pieces of advice to some high level concepts that can, if nothing else, help you keep a better perspective in the long run. Like that, the whole spectrum comes into play when we're talking about becoming a winning better in the long run. So Mm -hmm. 
really appreciate everything uh, you came ready to speak to. Um, I want to respect your time. I know we've been going at this for a while, so I'll try to do some rapid fire to wrap things up. Uh, last time we had all time, man. This is, this is great. I mean, I could talk about this all day. This is fun for me. So don't worry about my time. Awesome. Okay. Thank you. Yeah. If I could just do this, uh, until work starts tomorrow morning and then, and then keep going. Um, I, I wouldn't mind it at all, but, uh, <laughs> let's, let's kick this off with, um, one Super Bowl prop you're most looking forward to betting. Oh man. I haven't thought about, um, I, it's just the ones I play every year. It's, it's that, it's not that much fun, but just the ones that are more plus EV. So I'm sure I'll end up betting the, I think we mentioned it before the, the, the yes on the will team score three consecutive times. You know, a lot of people like to bet the no on that. You got to lay decent amount of vig to, uh, to bet on the yes, but just getting too much value, sometimes even like 60, 80 cents worth of market value on what we should be, what we should be laying there. So stuff like that. It's not that fun, but that's, <laughs> it's just those, those markets, those prop markets where, you know, you lay a little bit of extra vig, um, but not as much as you should be. So those are, that's, it's not exciting, but that's what I'm most looking forward to. Yeah, well, it's exciting when it wins, and I think people do like to see a lot of scoring. So at least uh, that is that is a case of rooting for human achievement, uh, at least for one side of the equation. So uh, definitely more exciting than some of the other plus EV options. And uh, when you talk about possibly getting 60 to $0.80 cents, uh, of a discount on this prop, I know this is another one where it's probably best to look toward in that final 24 to 48 hours before kickoff, maybe immediately, you know, right up to kickoff. But um, are you generally looking at something in the range of minus 200 to pull the trigger? Or do you have a range of at a certain number, that's the bare minimum for a go. And then if you can get a better number, you're willing to play it for an increased amount up to something that you've seen in the past? Yeah, that's, I mean, it's in that range. Obviously, it depends on, on the total you're dealing with and the game with a higher total like this one, 57. I still haven't gone through and looked at my go price on that one. Um, so yeah, no, I don't have an, an available go price there, but that's, it's in that range for sure. Cool. So Mike is on a team to score three straight times for sure. up to minus a thousand. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> a thousand. <laughs> no, <laughs> no I made probably my biggest bet of the, of the entire Super Bowl if I had, if I got, uh, plus yeah, $10 on, uh, on the other side. So that's the thing though, too. I mean, it's like when, when, and for sports betting too, not to like add another thing on, but when people ask, like, what do you like in this game or what do you like in this bet? The answer's got to be what's your line because I would make one of my biggest bets at, you know, catching, you know, 10 to 1 odds on um, the other way. So there you go. Yeah. My favorite prop for the Super Bowl, um, again, it's been um, a stalwart all season long. Shortest touchdown under one and a half yards, especially with the toad we're seeing here um, in the range of 56 right now, depending on where you look. Um, again, this might as well be the official props and hops profit of the season and to the point of shopping lines especially in the super bowl i've found some outstanding prices on this in recent years um throughout the regular season was also surprised to see the variance from book to book with this prop i think for this matchup i would make it good up to a go price of minus 175 and i'm already seeing it posted at some books in the range of minus 145 so um i see that as a good 30 cent discount um the chiefs are obviously very explosive i do wish they were more efficient near the goal line. So that um, puts a bit of a damper on my enthusiasm when looking at the matchup. But when I look at the high total here and the market tendency, simply to price this prop too low, um, I, I still think this is a good bet. And the matchup seems great with the Bucks. Uh, Tom Brady is the master of the quarterback sneak. Uh, we saw him put that into play when they had the ball at the one against the Saints. If they're at the one in the Super Bowl, 
Brady sneaking it in is always quite possible. Um, and then the Bucks' strong offensive line going against a pretty accommodating Chiefs defense, I think could also open the door for Leonard Fournette or Ronald Jones to find some room in short yardage situations. And then not having to be one-dimensional on the ground, um, having some big pass-catching options like Mike Evans and Rob Gronkowski make the passing game a viable option as well if the Bucks are operating on a short field. Um, so just the likelihood of seeing a lot of points in this game increases the likelihood of a lot of touchdowns. That increases the odds of some one-yard touchdowns. And uh, from a matchup standpoint, especially with the Bucks, I'm liking it. But even the Chiefs, I mean, if they're gonna if they're gonna score four or five touchdowns, then um, more often than not, uh, it might seem counterintuitive. But more often than not, one of those would come from the one, and we've seen that in each of their first two playoff games so far. So um, hopefully, they can keep that recent run of efficiency near the goal line going for one more game. Yeah, the big playability of both of these offenses, especially with you know Bruce Arians loves to air the ball out. The way that, you know, talk about at the beginning with Brady kind of slinging the pill a little more in the last game with, with confidence, um, can open up the door for more flags being thrown and then you get those one yard punches. Even if it's, even if you have to count on CEH, the rookie, you know, to punch one in from the one yard line, you're worried about the Chiefs, uh, ground game in that scenario. Maybe that's being priced in. That's partially why you're seeing that minus 145 there. Yeah, and it was encouraging to see how healthy Mahomes looked last Sunday because in the divisional round, um, they just ran the speed option with him, so you didn't need to worry about a running back uh, with a you know a stout D line possibly you know making a goal line stand. Mahomes just around the end again. The Chiefs do have some options, especially when Mahomes is healthy. So um, mm-hmm. seeing him look as good as he did this past Sunday, nursing that turf toe injury um, with with the bye week ahead, it's it's probably. Um, a good sign that we'll see him at or very close to full strength in the Super Bowl, and, and that could only help this prop as well. Yeah, I think we'll be seeing plenty of those balls into the end zone. All it takes is one flag, and you're good. Yeah, yeah, so uh, we'll keep an eye out for that one. Um, also wanted to weave in a question. Outside of the two teams left standing in the NFL this season, you're in Chicago, you're a Bears fan, um, so had to ask over under on how many wins the Bears cost themselves by backing into a futile playoff spot and keeping the less than inspiring trio in place when we look at GM, head coach, and quarterback. Gosh, I, I tried to like warn my friends about this. Uh, for savvy Chicago listeners, this reminds me of the 2016 Rajon Rondo Chicago Bulls that snuck in as the eighth seed in the playoffs, beat the Celtics the first two games when Rondo was healthy, then he gets injured and they lose the next four. Everybody sticks around for another year, and then you just have an extra year before you have to rebuild and, and uh, pick a lane, so to speak. So um so for the Bears I'm seeing a similar spot where they reeled off those wins in the middle of the season and it it just it put the blinders on you know, even my friends that are big Bears fans I was telling them like we're in big danger here and I was comparing them to to your Chargers who were going down the same route you know to close out the season and we were talking at that point you know down the stretch when the Chargers and the Bears were both reeling off wins it's like who has it worse right now and uh turned out that it was it was the Bears because they snuck in with that last spot and sure enough you know, the, it all starts at the top and they're keeping around, you know, pace and, and, uh, and Matt Nagy. And it's just another year of the same. And just like the Rondo Bulls, it's just delaying what's inevitably going to happen. So just, so to answer your question, at least 16 games, <laughs> at least, <laughs> at least delayed us another year, I think. Uh, and it sucks to say, but I think that's true. You know, just a couple of, of those early wins, if they just didn't go, you know, cause the Bears, one of the luckiest teams to start the year with, uh, with those, Close wins, uh, games they should, had no business winning, um, starting off at their first game against the Lions with that. There's a lot. I mean, a, DeAndre Swift you know, is still looking for his hands. 
Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, even before that, I mean, I think it was that, that play was just like the cherry on top. And that was like the Bears season in a nutshell, basically. Uh, just getting so fortunate there. And uh, it's going to open up betting opportunity, I think, fading the Bears next year, potentially. But now I'm worried about what they're going to do this offseason, thinking that it's, you know, they have like a one year window and they're going to splurge for for a quarterback or something at the, you know, sacrificing the future in the process. So yeah, the bears are stuck in, in, in football purgatory, which is effectively football hell right now. Yeah. <laughs> and it's so interesting to think about this from a more macro, again, process versus result point of view, because if the NFL hadn't expanded the playoff field, then Trubisky, Nagy and Pace are all likely looking for work right now. And that is so that has zero impact on how they performed. Uh, it's amazing that the Bears got the seven seed in the NFC. And meanwhile, there were teams that won double digits in the AFC and they didn't all get in. So um, it's it's just amazing the way that this shook out that because the playoff field was expanded to no credit of anybody sticking around in Chicago, those guys are still around. It just goes to show what kind of process goes into some of these decisions and how dumbfounding that can be despite how high the stakes are. Yeah, I know these guys. I mean, it's like the the best possible jobs in the world, and even people. I mean, you and I can clearly see this. You know, sitting sitting in these rooms talking um, over Zoom right now, we could see the problems, and yet they still have their jobs. And we know the result already. I hate to break it to you, Bears fans, but I know the result already, and uh, I hope I'm wrong. But you know, <laughs> it's just it's painful. It is how it is, and we've seen this movie before with with other teams here in Chicago, and and it really is par for the course. My dad's been telling me I was I was pretty much a product of the Bears' last Super Bowl. I was born exactly nine months later, uh, pretty much. So it's uh, you know my dad's told me since I can ever remember. You know they're just gonna let you down, so I'm, you can't trust, and it starts at the top. And you know it's really the past couple of years where I've really started to understand that uh, where he's coming from. Yeah, well, let's ease up on the pain a little bit because in addition to being a Bears fan, you're an Iowa Hawkeyes fan um, with Iowa being your alma mater. Uh, they're looking pretty good in basketball right now. So how far do you think your Hawkeyes are going to go this season? Oh, man, no, I love the – and it's and basketball is my favorite sport too, and it's it's killing me because they just played Northwestern um, here in Chicago uh, last weekend or maybe it was the weekend before the, Sunday. And I couldn't go see him. So like, and it really stinks that I won't be able to see Luca Garza and this team play in person this year. Um, especially since, you know, they're a team that's so exciting to watch. They're number one and adjust offensive efficiency at Kempom, which is basically, you know, how many points you expect to score in one, in 100 possessions versus an average uh, D1 opponent. They're the best in the nation. Um, obviously defensively, they have some issues, but they're one of the most exciting teams to watch. Luca Garza and, and all the three point shooters around him. So a team like that has a lot more variance, obviously, on offense. They can get scored on. But if, they, if they're if they hot for a couple games against the right teams, they can go the whole way. So my expectations are high for them. You know, I think, you know, I, I would love to see them make the Final Four. I think Elite Eight is a, is a realistic ask from this team this year. But it's going to come down to, obviously, tournament variance and who they're matched up against to see really how far they can go. But they could beat anybody on any given night. And if they're shooting the ball well, they could make a long, deep run into March Madness. Yeah, well, I'm glad that you've got something to look forward to while waiting out the Bears. So uh, it'll be an interesting next few weeks, next couple of months for Iowa basketball. And mm-hmm. to wrap up the rapid fire round here, uh, putting the hops back in props and hops, what is the beer that you have enjoyed the most so far in 2021? I got to say, it might be there, – there's been quite a few, but this one right here, the one I that I brought on the show, the, the pistachio cream ale from Vera – 
I've been drinking it the most, so if that counts. But you know, other than that, just having any of my Chicago beers handy, you know, I've, I've been really into. Um, I think we talked about maybe on your last pod, but I'm still drinking the Leju, um, Leju. Probably uh, not pronouncing it the right way, but um, that's here in Chicago as well. Alarmist Brewing Company. But yeah, this this new one, 2021. It's a young year so far, but I've been really into this pistachio cream ale. Yeah, I'm I'm gonna go the same route and go with the the one I've been working on tonight and for a lot of the year. I think to your point, if it's the one that you're drinking the most from a volume standpoint, then it's probably a sign of how much you're enjoying it. Um, so again, this one is a a Kolsch rough translation by Green Cheek Beer Company in Orange, California. And what I love is that it's not too hoppy. Um, so even though this is props and hops, that, that seems a little counterintuitive, but it seems like the optimal play call when we're working with, uh, long days of watching playoff football, those have just been great the past few weeks. And, and this has been a go-to because as much as I love a good IPA, um, probably less inclined to really ramp up the volume, um, with something that's more in the seven, eight percent range. So, uh, rough translation has been great. Just love the Kolsch style. Um, this one's again, light enough to drink plenty of, but still keep your wits about you and just fresh baked bread on the aroma. It's, it's so, you know, almost entrancing, um, not to get too in the weeds on this, but also a, a little floral and fruity uh, on the flavor. And that gives it enough nuance to be interesting, but it's also pretty clean and simple by design, uh, just to be, you know, more enjoyable and crushable no matter what you've got going on. So, um, yeah, it's, it might be, uh, you know, winter warmer season, but there are still some good colches, cream ales and, and other things on the lighter end of the spectrum that we can be enjoying right now. Yep. You can drink more of them uh, on, on, a, on a fun football Sunday too. Yeah. Cool. Well, uh, one thing I wanted to touch on before we, uh, get on out of here, um, would be to, um, speak to being part of the dimers.com podcasting network throughout the season. You started working with them. Um, I believe it was just about from the get go. And then, um, I came on board a little bit later, uh, thanks to an intro that you facilitated. And I was curious to, um, hear a little bit about your experience working with the team over at Dimers and being the sponsor of their weekly Sweet Six contests they've been running. Yeah. Dimers guys are the best. And like, I just love the community that they're trying to build here as, as the U.S. sports betting industry continues to expand over time and, and, and quickly at that too. But I love how, you know, they're really helping facilitate the right way of thinking um, for a lot of betters who are interested in learning more about this. Cause you and I have been in those shoes, you know, when we're trying to find good sources of information to make informed bets while having fun at the same time. And so the quick pick section at Dimers, I think is great in the sense that it teaches betters, you know, that are looking at that, that, that it really is just, you know, about, assembling edges like we've talked about and assembling a, assembling a portfolio every day built on smaller edges. And so when you see that, you know, even the very best dimers bot bets on the quick pick section are yielding, you know, six to 10% edges at the very best. And you're accepting the fact that even the best bets you're going to make have, you know, at best a 40% chance of losing. Once you get in that mindset, it really can change the way you bet and you're, and you're going to bet accordingly. So I think the dimers community is good from that regard. Also just getting like-minded bettors who, who can bring really insightful handicapping angles into, into handicapping different sports and different games. Cause obviously, you know, some guys might specialize in one sport and some guys in another sport. And then the sweet six is great. It's, it's six picks per week. Um, or yeah, per week during the regular season. And then, um, we did special, you know, for the NFC and AFC championship games, uh, one for each game. Obviously there's, you know, there'll be one for the Super Bowl, but 
You get six questions and those vary, you know, some of them are just 50, 50, who's going to win this matchup. And some of them are, who's going to be the first touchdown score. You, you might get like an index question of, you know, the margin of victory is going to be between one and five points, six and 10, but you just have to answer six of those six correctly, all six, and you win a thousand dollars. So it's really just a fun idea. I think to get more potential betters engaged and in, in the community and, and yeah, so I'm really, really happy to, to sponsor that with the doggy juice podcast and, and encourage all of you listeners out there to participate in the Sweet Six moving forward. Yeah, and something I like about the Sweet Six, as you described, it reminds me of uh, the notion of prop betting for the Super Bowl aligning with your game handicap. The Sweet Six contest, that's a free roll. It takes less than a minute to enter. And if you've done the game handicaps and you have a certain feel for how you think things are going to go, this is a quick, free, and an easy way to just throw your name in the hat for a free roll on $1,000. I always like to think of it as if things fall into place, then uh, that $1,000 can effectively pay for free beers for years. And uh, what's better than that? So Nothing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Good answer. So, um, yeah, I enjoy that. Um, quick Picks is, is one of my um, preferred spots to check out on dimers.com as well. Um, you touched on it well, the – you know, a 6% edge is actually quite large. So it's good to set that perspective. And also, even though I'm in California, unfortunately, probably quite a ways out from legalized sports betting, um, just the state-by-state breakdowns of different sports books, what they're offering, um, again, helping people learn how they can best take advantage of bonuses or whatever options are available based on where they're located. Dimers.com has been a good resource on that front. Um, so yeah, happy to be part of that family. And I also want to give you time to, uh, take the floor here and, and plug the doggy juice pod. Um, what do you got going on for Super Bowl coverage plans and then post Super Bowl just in general? How are you, uh, looking to take the show over the next coming weeks and months? Yeah. So no, the doggy juice podcast, it's, um, I view it as your one-stop shop for sports betting legalization state by state. If you're interested in, in those developments, um, to try and stay on top of those on a weekly basis, but also just learning to, and just like this podcast with props and hops, learning to find ways you know, for anyone who's looking to find ways to, to be a sharper sports better, to put things in your arsenal uh, that are going to equip you for the long run and not just like a hot take, who's going to cover the spread this week and stuff that really helps, you know, teach a person how to fish so they can earn a living instead of just a hot take. So um, that's kind of the focus of the podcast is to go, to go about it that in that route and, and uh, provide more of that type of content. And moving forward, I'm going to probably be doing it. I usually release on Thursdays during football season, but now, um, now that we're coming out of football season, I'm probably going to be doing a bit of a schedule shift and try and um, do more interviews and more evergreen content to try and provide uh, more content that, that can actually accomplish that goal of, of providing, you know, source for, for betters to understand how to, how to change their process and, and equip themselves with the skills to succeed in the long run. Uh, moving forward, but also a lot of college basketball talk too, because that's my, my favorite sport to handicap as well. And obviously we're approaching March Madness. So yeah, it's going to be, it's a lot of fun, just a weekly podcast, just like yours and looking forward to bringing you on as a guest again uh, soon. And, and, uh, and as many times as I can get my hands on you to get on the podcast, because I love your insight as well. Cool. Thank you. Yeah. I had a blast going on before and happy to do it anytime. And to your point about college basketball picking up soon, I mean, Right after the Super Bowl, it's pretty much going to be at a fever pitch until the big dance. So Doggy Juice Pod going to be a good resource for that. And uh, yeah, I look at the clock here and I see that uh, pushing ahead two hours to convert to central time. I, I think we might be approaching your bedtime. You've been more than generous <laughs> with your time here. Um, 
thank you so much for hopping on to have this discussion. And I'm really looking forward to whenever and wherever we can catch up in person next, whether that's Chicago, LA, Vegas, uh, wherever it is, sign me up. Can't wait for it. But in the meantime, looking forward to um, more conversations like this, either here with Props and Hops or on the Doggy Juice pod. Can't wait, Matt. Thank you so much for having me on. I mean, think about like the bad movies that listeners could have watched or or done stuff with their time with that two hours instead of listening to this. Hopefully we were able to provide uh, some really good information for people that can put into their arsenal right away and, and start uh, seeing more winning tickets. So I really appreciate you having me on. It's it's an honor to come on here and I love what you're doing with this podcast. I think it's so unique, you know, especially bringing your, your beer um, knowledge and, and just your unique angle, having worked with David Malinsky and, and stuffing on him. This is a must listen for me personally. And I know a lot of friends here, the Chicago area uh, been introduced to it feel the same way. So really appreciate all you do. And, and I'm honored to come on. So cheers to you, man. Cool. Thank you so much. Really appreciate it, Mike. Cheers. Cheers. Goodbye. All right. Thanks again to Mike for taking the time to have this meaningful conversation. Be sure to subscribe to the doggy juice pod on Apple podcasts to stay informed of his insight. And that'll do it for this episode. If you found any value in this conversation, please share it with a friend who could benefit as well. I'll be back at it next Friday for the Super Bowl 55 breakdown. It promises to be a betting bonanza and a beer extravaganza. So until then, let's bet well, let's drink well, and let's be well. (laughs) 